Well, in light of our uh, blizzard out there, I thought it might be appropriate to, to start off with a story from, from a kindergarten classroom this morning. A teacher was working, uh, a little boy had uh, come all bundled up for the weather and had his snow boots and stuff, and he was just having an awful time getting them on, and so she helped him and, and just pulling and pushing and tugging, and they just wouldn't go on at all. And finally, I mean, she was about to break a sweat doing this, you know, and got those boots on and then he looked down at him and said they're on the wrong feet <laughs> sure enough she they were so she tugged and tugged and they were about as hard to get off as they'd been to get on and switched feet and shoved them back on again with all that that effort and energy and she was really starting to work up a sweat about this point and right after she got them on that time the little boy looked down and said these aren't my boots <laughs> <laughs> She bit her tongue rather than saying what she wanted to say at that moment, right? You know, she's a teacher, supposed to keep your decorum, right? And so she, she went back to tugging them off again and finally got them off. And about that time, little boy said, yep, these aren't my boots. These are my brother's boots. My mama made me wear them today. <laughs> One more time, she goes back, shoves them on, you know, gets them on. Man, she has just had it at this point. She's had it. And finally, she, you know, gets them on. It's been such a struggle. And she stands him up and says, okay, where are your mittens? He says, I put them in the toe of my boot. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you ever had a day like that, right? <laughs> Maybe you've been having a week like that or a month like that or a year like that. The reality is uh, life is challenging. And, and it can be incredibly stressful. We, we are blessed, uh, but we are stressed, aren't we? And there's, there's just lots going on in, in a lot of lives. And then sometimes it just, it just wears you down along the way. And so it seemed appropriate as we kind of talk about some of those things that all of us have to deal with in a sin-scarred world, uh, that we would talk about uh, the reality of how do we learn to deal with stress. And the truth is that stress isn't new. It's not something that we've just invented in the, in the past uh, few years. People have been coping with stress for centuries. And we do it a whole lot of different ways. Uh, some, some people under uh, real stress, they, they, they just can't eat. Uh, other folks kind of eat everything in sight uh, when they're under stress, right? It uh, might be helpful to you. I did find a little stress diet. Maybe, maybe this will be a good resource for you going forward. Breakfast, a half a grapefruit, a slice of whole wheat toast, eight ounces of skim milk. Lunch, four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup steamed zucchini, a cup of herb tea, and one Oreo cookie. Mid-afternoon snack. The rest of the package of Oreos, one quart of Rocky Road ice cream, and a jar of hot fudge on top of it. Dinner, two loaves of garlic bread, one large pepperoni and sausage pizza with extra cheese, a large pitcher of Diet Coke because you are watching your calories, three Snicker bars, and an entire Sara Lee frozen cheesecake straight from the freezer, right? I and mean, sometimes you just got to learn how to cope with stress, right? Well, there might be another way. There might be a better way. Paul talked about it in Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, 
but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. If you read Paul's life, he was under incredible stress, maybe stress that we would have never even uh, known about, much less than learn how to deal with. But he had an internal resource. He had something on the inside out of his relationship with God that enabled him to deal with with stress. I want us to kind of learn from Scripture about how to deal with stress. Some quick observations about stress before we dive uh, into the, the passage in First Kings. First observation, every person has stress in their life. Every one of us has stress in our life. Sometimes it peaks, sometimes it's a little lower grade, but stress is just an inevitable part of our lives. And that's not always a bad thing because stress can be positive or negative. Actually, there's kind of a sweet spot of stress, if you will. We need a certain amount of stress in our lives to flourish, to, to be challenged, to grow, to develop, all those sort of things. But, but too much can be overwhelming uh, along the way. The third observation is that much of our stress is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. It's not so much what's happening to us, but how we are processing, how are we are responding to what happens to us that, that increases the stress and oftentimes makes it a, a very negative thing in our life along the way. But the fourth observation, I hope will be an encouragement to you, is that we can learn to deal effectively with stress. We can learn to deal effectively with stress. And that's what I want us to learn a little bit about this morning. To do so, I want to encourage you to find in your Bibles 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be looking primarily at chapter 19 as we look at one of God's prophets, the prophet Elijah, and the incredible stress that he was under, almost to the point of breaking and how God met him in those moments. And I think in much the same way that God wants to meet us in the midst of the stress of our life. A little background for those of you maybe that have, have read this, these passages before. Right before chapter 19, there's chapter 18. You say, well, that's, that's convenient, right? Uh, 18, 19. But in 18, uh, it is perhaps one of the high watermarks of Elijah's prophecy. This is the, the, the encounter, the, the, the confrontation on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And maybe if you go back and read that, you may remember the, all the, the drama of that, of, of building of these fires, and they're calling on their God Baal, and nothing happens, and, and Elijah has them pour water on the wood, and, and in a dramatic moment, God answers with fire, and there's just kind of the slaying of all of these false prophets, and, and, and then he, he goes to prayer because there's been a drought, and, and rain comes, and, and a burst of incredible strength. He, he runs ahead. He, he runs ahead of the King Ahab's chariot and all of these things. So he's kind of at this high water mark. But interestingly enough, sometimes after we have poured ourselves out, sometimes when we have given so much, actually sometimes we crash after that, don't we? And that, that's kind of where Elijah was when you open up uh, chapter 19. Because despite the victory, despite the display of God's presence and power, all the problems weren't gone. And so if you look at the, the first verse there, you find a threat. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the, may gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Whoa. I've just come off this incredible victory, and my reward for that, my reward for faithfulness to God, my reward for uh, exerting myself all out was this woman's threatening to take my life, and she's got the power and the pull and, and the character to actually make that happen. What you discover at this point is that Elijah found himself at a point that sometimes we can find ourselves in, and that is he was totally exhausted. And we kind of see this anatomy of a burnout here at this point. He was totally exhausted. He had spent himself physically. He had spent himself spiritually and emotionally and every way that you could. He had just, he had poured out. And sometimes when you have poured out, your tank's kind of near E. And when your tank's near E, you don't perhaps have the resources to deal with stress. And what was introduced into his life was a huge stressor when somebody says, I'm going to kill you. In fact, is by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. He was totally, totally exhausted. And in the midst of that, I think we could, it's fair to say that he also perhaps had some unrealistic expectations, some unrealistic expectations. So when there was this threat, verse 3 says, then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Could it be that maybe Elijah was guilty at this point of saying, you know, I, I, this victory has been won. It'll all be smooth sailing from here, right? Sometimes we set ourselves up uh, for increased stress because we feel like if I just get this done, if I just, you know, get this project done or get this move made or, or get, get through this crisis, then everything's going to be better. And we, we invest ourselves so heavily in finishing that project or getting through that crisis. And then we're surprised. We're surprised when the next wave comes uh, because the waves keep coming, don't they? It is unrealistic to think that just just because you've been through a very busy time that your life is going to be shielded from the next wave, from the next thing that's going to be coming along the way. And so this, this hit Elijah out of his exhaustion and those unrealistic expectations perhaps even heightened his fear of, of what, what was going to happen, what was going to become of him. He also did what many of us do that adds to our stress, and he engaged in comparison with others. He engaged in comparison with others. So he, he begins to feel like maybe I'm the only one. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Who said you had to be better than your fathers. If you skip down to verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's comparing. He said, you know, I'm the only one that's been faithful. I'm the only one who's doing right here, God. And God actually reminds him in verse 18, you're not alone. <laughs> You're, you're not uh, the only one. And that, that kind of leads us to that next observation. He did feel isolated. He did feel alone. And sometimes when we engage in comparison, 
uh, we, we kind of uh, can get ourselves bitter. And bitterness, uh, some clinical folks tell us, is one of the, uh, the, the leading causes of burnout in our lives. And out of that, he felt isolated and alone. And in his isolation, in his aloneness, uh, he felt like there was nobody to turn to. God had to gently remind him in verse 18, you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's been faithful. In fact, there's, there's thousands, thousands of people who never have bent the knee to Baal. Don't feel like you're the only one. Sometimes stress does that to us. It, it isolates us. It makes us feel like we're the only one. We start looking at other people. We engage in some comparison, and we feel like they have it so much easier. They have it so much better. They don't have the challenges I do. The reality is you probably don't know everything that they're going through, and the comparison doesn't help anyway. And in the midst of all of that, he had lost hope and perspective. If you go back to verse 4, he basically, basically just asked God to take him out. He, 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 just is, he asked that he might die. God, it's better for me to die than to keep facing this, than to keep going. Now, he was in a stressful time, no doubt, but he had lost hope and he had lost perspective. And sometimes wave after wave of stress can do that to us, can it? it? It can disorient us to other people. It can disorient us to the activity of God. And when that happens, we lose hope. We lose perspective along the way. From that kind of bottom, if you will, God ministered to Elijah. And I think it's some of the lessons we can learn from how he did that as to how God might want to minister to us as we deal with the stress in our lives. Notice what he did. One of the first things he did is he renewed him physically. He renewed him physically. Here he is at the point where he is without hope and perspective. He is wiped out. He is exhausted on multiple fronts. And then verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Very practical, very practical here at this point. What did God first do to an exhausted, stressed out, uh, loss of perspective Elijah? He said, get something to eat and take a nap, <laughs> all right? Now, I'm just going to tell you, and so some of you will be, some of you will take me up on this this afternoon, I know. <laughs> Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap, Listen, God designed our bodies. We need fuel. We need the renewal of rest. Sometimes in stress, we don't eat or we don't eat healthy. And we don't sleep. We don't exercise. We don't take a walk. And in the midst of those things, we're missing a lot of God's provision for us for the stressors of our life. And so maybe I would just encourage you to think about as you deal with stress, what are you doing in the area of you're taking care of yourself physically? What kind of diet do you eat? What kind of rest do you get? What kind of physical exercise uh, do you get? 
It's this very practical way that God ministered to him. Let's start fueling him up physically. Let's meet him there physically first. But that's not all that God did for Elijah. He also allowed him to release emotionally. He allowed him to release emotionally. So out of a kind of some, some physical bringing him back, verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I mean, he's just, he's just kind of allowing him to unload a little bit here. Elijah, where, why are you here? What's going on here? Sometimes when we're carrying all this stuff around, we just need a safe place. We need a safe place to kind of be transparent. And maybe that's just to be able to be transparent with God. Go back and read the Psalms. And and the Psalms are just filled sometimes with David or others just pouring their heart out. They're pouring their heart out to God. Sometimes not in the most uh, uh, Sunday school kind of way, right? I mean, there's some raw emotion there. Sometimes we, we need a safe person to kind of be God with skin on. Somebody that we can, we, we can just open up to, that we can be vulnerable with, that we can kind of give a glimpse into our soul. There's something sometimes about releasing that, of processing that in the presence of another that helps us to kind of articulate and understand what's going on inside of him. God allowed him the gracious gift of, of releasing emotionally. Elijah, what are you doing here? So maybe I just ask you, maybe some folks find it journaling helps. Some folks find it's, it's to have a friend. Sometimes you even need a, uh, maybe a, a, someone trained as a counselor or whatever. But do you have those people in your life, those situations, those ways that you can, you can release emotionally as God did for Elijah here? But not only physically and emotionally, but God refreshed him spiritually. He refreshed him spiritually. As he has him here in this place, God gives him a glimpse again of the greatness of who he is. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. A still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question he had asked before, but it was a little different now because he had given him a glimpse of the power of the presence of of God. And then into verse 14, he begins his laments again. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. 
He gave him a reminder, a glimpse. The situation was the same, but he said, don't forget who's in the midst of this. Don't forget who is walking with you. Sometimes in the middle of our stress, sometimes when we're feeling that pressure, we feel, I don't have time or I can't focus, so I don't spend time in God's Word. Or maybe I don't feel like being a part of that small group or that Bible study or being in worship or whatever it might be. And Sometimes when we feel like it the least, we need it the most. We need to refresh. We need to refuel spiritually along the way. We need to just remind ourselves of the presence of God, of the power of God, of the promises of God, of the purposes of God along the way. And as we we refresh ourselves spiritually, it begins to increase our capacity to deal with the stress in our life. God met him. He met him physically. He allowed him to, to begin to open up and heal emotionally. He reminded him of God's presence with him and and refreshed him spiritually. But then also see what God did for Elijah. He kind of redirected him. He gave him a new sense of of purpose and direction. So out of of this kind of renewal, he said, you know, you've lost hope, you've lost perspective, and with that you don't even know what to do. And he begins to give him next steps. Verse 15, uh, he, he challenges him. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint the king to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Melah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pause right there for just a moment. In the midst of this, he said, Elijah, I'm not finished with you yet. Elijah, I still have something for you to do. There's still a purpose for your life. Here's a direction. Here's your next step. Sometimes in the midst of stress, we get disoriented to not only God and, and ourselves and others, but we, do, we don't know what to do. We feel the pressure and we kind of like, it's hard to make a decision. And so God met him in those moments and said, here's the next step. Here's the direction. I'm not finished with you yet. There is a way for you to go, and this is how you walk in it. And we need to come back uh, to God, come back to the calling of God, and like come back to those things that we know he has put in our hands to do. And there's tons of things I can't control, but here's the thing that God has given me to do. And so I begin to step in that direction along the way. And in the midst of that, as we just read, he refocused him mentally. He refocused him mentally just to say, you know, th- this is what you're, you're to do, uh, but I want you to know I'm, I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of this. And so I just remind yourself that, that I'm going to work my purposes through these people and situations, some you don't even know. And oh, yes, by the way, as we looked at, as we mentioned just a few moments ago, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 others who have not ba- ba- bent the knee to Baal. You're not alone in this. And so he, he began to kind of refocus him mentally on the fact that God was still working. God was still working through people. God had, he wasn't alone and isolated, but there were thousands of people who were still loyal to God, even in the midst of that nation. And so he, 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 he refocused him. Sometimes we've got to come back and just reorient ourselves to truth. You know, sometimes in, in our stress, we get, we, we kind of get things wacky in our thinking, don't we? 
And, you know, we, we, we make mountains out of molehills and this sort of thing. We need, we need that perspective. We need to kind of return to truth. We need somebody maybe to help us to say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. This is not, this is not everybody and everywhere all the time. This is not permanent. This is temporary. This is not pervasive. It's not, it's not every, everything in every situation in the world. And so we need to be refocused mentally along the way. And then there's one other thing that God did for Elijah, and that is he gave him a friend. He gave him a friend. Look at verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. One of the things that God did for him is he, he sent Elisha to now come alongside him. Elisha who would eventually inherit the, the prophetic mantle of Elijah. But he walked with Elijah for a number of years. So Elisha who had been kind of isolated and alone now had this one who was going to walk with him and walk beside him. We need those people in our lives. If we're going to learn to deal effectively with stress, we don't go at it alone. That's why we talk to you about don't just settle for sitting in rows get in circles that's why we talk about the power of transformational relationships and hold that up as a value we want you to experience the power of community paul often talked about the body of christ we need one another we were designed for one another and so i need to ask as i deal with stress who's walking with me who's walking with me uh, who, who can stand beside me in this? I, I'm not designed to do this alone all the time. God would send somebody across my path. Maybe God's going to send you across the path of another person. Now, I want you to note one very, very, very important thing here. And that is simply this. That from verse 1 to verse 21, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed in the circumstances. Jezebel was still powerful and corrupt. She was still hunting down Elijah and wanting him killed. Nothing had changed, and yet everything had changed because Elijah was different. From the opening verses when he, he goes to this pit of despair, if you will, when he's, he's ready to say, God, take my life. To the end when he begins to move out in a new direction, a new purpose with, with, with someone walking alongside him. The situation, the circumstances didn't change. But everything was different because Elijah was different. Please hear me. When we talk about dealing with stress, I'm not saying everything's going to go away. In fact, is the waves keep coming, don't they? Sometimes they, they reach peak. Sometimes it's a little lower grade, but they keep coming. This, your situation may not change radically on the outside. Your circumstances may not change radically on the outside. 
But everything can be different if you allow God to do a work within you on the inside. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor, who knew incredible stress in seeking to, to minister uh, to the Chinese people, kind of put it in a great context. He said, it doesn't matter really how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. Then the greater the pressure, the more it presses you to his breast. Think about that. That pressure can be incredible, but if it gets between you and the Lord, it'll push you away. But if it, it, it gets on the other side, it presses you in to the Lord. Here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. What God did for Elijah, he can do for you. And maybe you're here today and you're nowhere near where Elijah was. And thank God for that, right? Maybe you're not in that pit of despair where you just even wonder if it's worth going on another day. But God can meet you in the midst of the stress. And he can take that stress and if you'll allow it, it will press you into him. And he will equip you as you begin to take care physically. As you begin to, to learn how to process emotionally. As you renew yourself spiritually. As you refocus on his calling and his direction in your life. As you, as you refine your thinking to, to clear up kind of the mental fog. And get kind of a, a little better grip on what reality is. As you, as you allow God to use and send people into your life. What God did for Elijah, he'll do for you. I, I want to kind of pull this together with a story that's just been uh, so helpful to me through the years when I first read it and discovered and I thought, wow, this, this is just a great, great word picture. In the mid-1980s, some of you may remember the, by the, the guy by the name of Robert Ballard and he headed expedition. They were in search of the Titanic and eventually in the mid-80s they actually discovered where the Titanic was on the bottom of the ocean floor, some 13,000 feet below uh, the water surface, almost two miles down. And they discovered this and didn't even have the equipment to be able to fully investigate it. They went back a year or so later with some new equipment, this little sub, and had this little camera thing that went off of it. And, and for the first time in, in decades, people, we were able to get a glimpse inside the Titanic as this, this little submersible and this ca camera went in. It was interesting just seeing some of the pictures of all of those things and uh, you know, chairs and tables and glasses and all those things. But there, there was an interesting, interesting thing down there that caught a few folks' eyes. There were wine bottles. And this isn't wine. This is not a, a, a prescription for dealing with stress here. But uh, I don't think. Non-alcoholic red grape. Uh, but they had these bottles and they began to say, wait a how are those bottles not crushed? I mean, do you understand the pressure of being almost two miles below the surface of the water? I mean, why, why, why aren't those just crushed? And they began to understand kind of the law or the principle of equilibrium. The reason that that great, tremendous pressure 
from the outside didn't crush those bottles of wine was because of what was on the inside. That the pressure on the inside was equal to, was equalized to the pressure on the outside. And so the bottle wasn't crushed. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's, that's what God wants to do to us. You know, there are times when, when we say, God, get me out of here, <laughs> right? Get me out of this pressure. God may not take you out of the pressure. But if you'll allow him, what God will do is that he'll work on the inside in such a way that you will be equal to and sufficient for even tremendous pressure on the outside. What God did for Elijah, he'll do for you and he'll do for me. Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Oh, Father, there are so many things in our life that we do not fully understand. So many things that come into our life that take us by surprise. They shock us, surprise us along the way. Father, you are not surprised by any of that. You are the God who understands it fully, and you understand not only what's happening around us, but what you want to do within us. And Lord, I I just pray this morning, I I know that there's some folks right here right now that are just dealing with tremendous stressors. And if we're not dealing with it today, we will at some point again. Father, what you did for Elijah, would you just be gracious and do for us? Would you renew us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Would you send those folks across the path of our life that could be a source of encouragement, a source of truth, a source of strength. Lord, I just ask even today, would you take whatever the pressures are that we are or will be experiencing, and Lord, would you just help us not to let those pressures get between us and you, but to press us into you. Father, thank you that you can do a work in us that will make us equal to and sufficient for anything that will come into our lives. And I'm just going to ask you right now just to spend a moment sitting before.